0: to the CN First Quarter 2021 Financial and Operating Results Conference Call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Ball Butcher, the Vice President, Investor Relations. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Butcher.
1: Well, thank you, Christina. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us for CN's First Quarter 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. I would like to remind you about the comments already made regarding forward-looking statements. With me today is J.J. Rue, our President and Chief Executive Officer, Ghislaine Houlle, our Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, Rob Riley, our Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, and Sean Finn, our Executive Vice President, Corporate Services and Chief Legal Officer. I do want to remind you to please limit yourselves to one question so that everyone has the opportunity to participate in the Q&A. The IR team will be available after the call for any follow-up questions. It is now my pleasure to turn the call over to CN's President and Chief Executive Officer, Mr. J.J. Rue.
2: Well, thank you, Paul, and uh, good afternoon to everyone. I hope you all had a safe, healthy, and constructive start to 2021. Here at CN, we're off to a good, strong, running start. The underlying performance of CN has been strong, and this is thanks to our dedicated colleague. Our railroaders delivered despite severe winter operating conditions, unprecedented demand in a number of markets like port and grain, and ongoing challenge in the pandemic. As you can see from slide five, CN is on track to become the premier railway of the 21st century. We are focused on our role as an engine of the North American economic growth and prosperity, as well as a supply chain and environmental leader. We pioneer and were the first to implement precision schedule railroading across our network, and we are a clear industry leader in ESG. Our strong balance sheet is a testament to our operational excellence, and we continue to prudently invest in the business and our strategy as we grow and expand our reach. CN has a longstanding successful track record of strategic and accredited acquisition throughout North America, which has resulted in successful integration of our current rail network. In line with our existing strategy, CN made a superior proposal to acquire the KCS. This is the right next step for both CN and KCS toward becoming the premier railway of the 21st century. Turning to slide six, we are confident that together with KCS experience and very talented team, we will be able to continue that success in a combination of CN and KCS to the benefit of both companies, specifically, This offer will deliver superior value to KCS shareholders. CN's proposal represents a 21% premium to the CP proposal and more than double the amount of cash per share, resulting in not just greater value, but also greater certainty of the value for KCS shareholders. The combination will also significantly enhance customers' choice and competition. In particular, it will create a new express route that connects the U.S., Mexico, and Canada with end-to-end seamless single owner, single operator service. It would connect vibrant port from all three coasts to more interland market in cities. It would connect CN and KCS buyers and sellers to more destination. It will also preserve access to all existing interchange options to enhance route choice and ensure robust competition. We are also firmly committed to maintaining open gateway to competitors network. We believe this combination will enable better solutions to our customers, speed of movement of goods from country to country, coast to coast, enhance competition, create jobs up and down the railroad, and prevent millions of tons of greenhouse gas from entering the atmosphere by converting truck traffic to rail supply chain. As an update on where our proposal currently stands, on April 21st, we submitted a pre-filing notification to the STB of our intent to file an application seeking authority to combine with KCS should the KCS Board of Directors accept our superior proposal. We are proposing to use an identical voting trust structure that CP has proposed, and we are confident that the STB will not subject our proposal to any different standard in approving the voting trust than those that would be applicable to CP. We believe that both voting trusts are equally likely to be approved. If our voting trust is approved, and a combination with KCS is consummated, KCS shareholders will receive a value, the value of their consideration being offered when the transaction closes in trust, which we anticipate could be as soon as the second half of 2021. We are fully committed to this transaction and confident in our ability to achieve all necessary regulatory approval to close into a voting trust and then ultimately receive approval to combine with KCS. On page seven, I would like to provide a brief update on our strong progress as we have made in only one week since announcing our proposed combination. We were very pleased to learn on Saturday that the Board of KCS determined that CN's offer is reasonably expected to lead to a company superior proposal and we were granted permission to conduct our confirmatory due diligence. We look forward to working toward finalizing a dif- definitive agreement merger to combine our 2 great railroads. I connected with Pat, the CEO of KCS, over the weekend, and reiterated CN's strong enthusiasm, readiness, and most importantly, our deep commitment to begin collaboration with the KCS team toward a successful combination. Secondly, we filed earlier today an application with the STB for the approval of our voting trust and named Dave Starling as a trustee. Finally, a great importance of note, in less than a week of making a proposal to combine with KCS, We have received an overwhelming amount of support from more than 500 freight customers, Port Ecosystem Partners, Supplier, Government Officials and other stakeholders. They have voiced their support, support for a combined CNKCS, which will help them compete in their market and better serve their needs by offering greater choice and greater efficiencies. We have also spoken to our shareholders, and many of you as well, and appreciate your strong support in this combination. I, myself, on behalf of the entire CN team, we are fully committed to this transaction and we're very confident in our ability to achieve all the necessary regular approval to close into a voting trust and then ultimately receive approval to combine with KCS. Together, we will create the premier North American railway for the 21st centuries. Moving on page 8, I am very proud of the CN underlying performance in Q1. This quarter, we realized solid results, and we continue to work on our yield of, a, of our new business mix. During the quarter, we continued to deliver industry-leading volume growth, where RTM up 5%, while revenue were flat versus last year, mainly due to adverse la- fuel lag and exchange late- rate. Our yield strategy is working. Our same-store pricing was 4.2% in Q1. Our network is fluid, and we recovered very well from the polar vortex. Of February. Our efforts are reflected in our ability to capitalize on consumer driven trend and growth of our intermodal business, which was up 19% for the quarter, with, significant, with CN significantly outpacing the rest of the industry, as well as of our strong financial performance gain and gain in safety, train length, car velocity, labor productivity, fuel efficiencies, and other key measures of operational performance. We are confident in our business and committed to our long-term strategy. With that, I will turn it to uh, to Rob. Rob? All right, thank
3: you, JJ, and and thank you to the talented employees of CN who helped deliver a very solid quarter. As you'll see on slide 10, our team moved an all-time Q1 record for volume, with GTMs up 6% year-over-year, despite the impact of the polar vortex that JJ just spoke about in February. While volume was up, Crew starts were up only 1%, our active online inventory of rail cars was down 3%, and train length improved 5%. The railroad continues to run very well and is fluid, with car velocity also improved 5%. In addition, our labor productivity improved 9%. All in all, just a solid quarter of winter operation. As detailed on slide 11, we are the North American rail leader in fuel efficiency. We improved our fuel efficiency 4% versus the same time last year to an all-time Q1 record. These efforts allowed us to save $12 from our initiatives alone and save the planet over 60,000 tons of CO2 emissions during the quarter. From a safety perspective, our personal injury rate and accident rate were improved an impressive 27% and 36% respectively, living up to our core values. From a technology standpoint, our FRA-approved autonomous track inspection cars provide safety and cost improvements to our railroad. As we prepare to enter into phase three of our program, we will be able to enhance overall safety while reducing manual inspections by 75%. In Q1 alone, our accident costs decreased over $30 million versus Q1 last year. Due to this technology and the dense ecosystem of portal and wayside detectors on our network. These cars are now covering 100% of our core mainline and 95% of where our gross ton miles move. As I previously mentioned, we experienced a couple weeks of February extreme cold temperatures with temperatures dipping below minus 40 degrees on large parts of our network. During this time, we were able to deploy our air car fleet, which allowed us to use multiple air sources during this challenging time. With this technology, We moved an additional 232,000 feet of traffic in February that would have otherwise been delayed or lost due to the cold. This helped us move 5% more volume during the quarter while holding Crew Starts flat. Along with that, we were able to continue to deliver for our customers. CN has now set 13 consecutive all-time monthly records for Canadian grain, keeping the streak intact throughout the winter months. We continued deploying technology to make our railroads safer, more efficient, and more reliable, and we're starting to see additional benefits from key projects, including track and train inspections. Moving to slide 12, we are optimistic on the volumes as we look out over the remainder of the year. To that end, our board approved an additional 75 locomotives over the next 12 to 24 months to support the projected growth and economic improvement. Our business is doing very well, as evidenced by our strong performance this quarter. Our capital investments over the last three years continue to provide safe and sustainable transportation options for our customers as the global and North American economies remain on a steady path to recovery. As you can see on slide 13, our strong operational performance coupled with strong demand led to record Q1 Canadian grain shipments. We beat last year's revenue record by over 20%, setting a new all-time high-water mark for sustainable grain supply chain volume. In total, as I said, but I'll say it again, we have now set records for grain tonnage now for 13 consecutive months, delivering for the Canadian farmers. And as JJ highlighted a moment ago, our intermodal performance has also been very strong, increasing by 19%, which far outpaced industry growth. Turning to page 14, we are confident in our ability to continue delivering strong results as the economy rebounds. Our network is fluid and we've recovered well from the extreme temps in February. We look forward to realizing the pipeline of growth opportunities in front of us. This includes continuing to grow our position as a clear industry leader in intermodal. We continue to maintain a very disciplined approach to yield management and the strategies working including same-store pricing of 4.2% in Q1. We are also focused on diligently managing our CapEx to drive productivity and best-in-class capacity and resiliency. As we look towards the future, we expect to maintain our leadership in digital scheduled railroading, building on our history as a PSR pioneer. This will continue to be a competitive advantage as we execute on our strategy. And as JJ already mentioned, ESG will continue to be a priority. We've recently undertaken major new ESG initiatives focused on environmental protection, active social responsibility, stakeholder engagement, and best-in-class governance. On that point, CN's Board of Directors announced in Q1 that at least 50% of independent directors come from diverse groups, including gender parity, the establishment of an Indigenous Advisory Council, and an annual advisory vote on CN's Climate Change Action Plan. We expect to continue to grow our ESG leadership and serve as an example in the industry. As I mentioned earlier, our best-in-class employees have done an exceptional job in, care, in helping to carry out our strategy, and we know that we have the right talent in place to continue to drive sustainable long-term growth. With that, I will turn the call over to Gislan to go over our financial results in detail. Yeah, thank you, Rob. <clears throat> My comments
4: will start on page 16 of the presentation which will give a bit more color on some of the highlights of our first quarter performance that JJ discussed earlier. During the quarter, we booked a non-cash benefit of $137 million to recover part of the charge we recognized on the non-core branch lines we put up for sale in Q2 last year. Recall that in Q1 of 2020, earnings also included an income tax recovery of $141 million resulting from the CARES Act. Excluding these non-recurring items, adjusted net income was around $870 million, essentially flat, with adjusted diluted EPS of $1.23, up 1% versus last year. If we adjust for the impact of fuel lag and stronger Canadian dollar, our adjusted EPS would have been up 11%, so quite a solid underlying performance. Now moving on to slide 17, we generated strong free cash flow of nearly $540 million in Q1 down about $35 million from last year, mainly from lower net cash from operating activities, partly offset by lower capex. We have paused buying back shares in light of our proposal to combine with the KCS. Moving on to page 18, we are encouraged about the economic recovery and the vaccine rollout, which is giving us strong confidence for the balance of the year. The underlying performance in Q1 is a testament To the dedication of the CN Railroaders who perform day in and day out. We are building off a strong volume performance in Q1 and looking to see the rail-centric part of our business recover. The increase in industrial production will drive growth in our carload segment moving forward such as chemicals, forest products, metals, fuels and plastic. With that said, we are pleased to update our financial outlook and are now targeting double-digit adjusted diluted EPS growth for 2021 versus high single-digit EPS growth previously. This is backed by the assumptions of high single-digit volume growth in terms of revenue-ton miles. We still expect to deliver free cash flow in the range of three to $3.3 billion, which will drive further improvement in free cash flow conversion. I will now turn the call back to JJ to give some closing remarks ahead of the Q&A.
2: Well, thank you, Rob, and uh, thank you, Ghislain. So, thank you for all of you to joining us today. Uh, It's a proactive approach way, pro-economic growth merger that we're proposing, connecting more sellers and buyers. And I would like to take a moment to reiterate some of the highly compelling aspects of our proposal. By combining with KCS, we would compete head-to-head on all three coasts, at lower costs, safer service, better fuel efficiencies, from Mexico to the heartland of America. This will result in a safer, faster, cleaner, stronger railway. In addition, we will bring our leading ESG and operating expertise to KCS business to the benefit of both companies' stakeholders. As mentioned during our April 20th announcement, based on our conservative and preliminary analysis of publicly available information, the combined company is expected to achieve EBITDA synergies approaching $1 billion, with the vast majority coming from additional revenue opportunity. The strong cash flow generation of the combined company would allow the company to rapidly deliver following the close of the transaction. We anticipate the transaction would be accredited to see an adjusted diluted earnings per share in the first full year following termination of the Voting Trust and CN an assuming control of KCS and double-digit accretion up in full realization thereafter. We are confident in the strength of our business and strategies, and we progress toward becoming the premier railway of the 21st century. We look forward to engaging constructively with the KCS board and all relevant stakeholders to deliver the superior transaction with KCS, to deliver greater choice and efficiencies for customers, and deliver enhanced opportunities for employee and local communities. Overall, we have a better bid, we are a better partner, better railway, and the best solution for KCS and the North American economy. On that note, uh, we will start to take some questions. Operator.
0: At this time, if you'd like to ask ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. And your first question comes from line of David Vernon with Bernstein.
5: New customer offer, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
2: Good afternoon, hey, David. Uh, good afternoon,
1: guys. So, um, JJ, I want to kind of ask this question again a little bit. I know we talked about this when you made, made the bid. Um, but, you know, looking at this transaction, why why is now the right time to come in with, 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 a, with a competing offer here? Like, where, like what's changed in the market that makes this such a better deal than may have been two or three or five years ago at a lower price point?
2: So there's many reasons why now, uh, and I covered them those earlier last week, but the, the main reason why now is that the Board of PCS, obviously, uh, after a very thorough uh, thinking, have decided it's time for them to crystallize the value for their shareholders. Therefore, they're willing at this point to entertain doing a merger and a, with a strategic partner, a merger with basically another railroad. That's, so the timing of that is also very much dependent on whether or not you have a partner with who you could dance. And then from an economic point of view, where the beginning of a post-economic recovery, the GDP forecast for North America looks very, you know, as good as can be. Uh, we, we have the USMCA, which was renewed, which is also something that has specific value to north-south top combination and then depending you know who you believe you know the, the the time of mexico this might be the decade of mexico in terms of nearshoring uh, now that uh, there is some challenge between relationship north america and china but also the fact that uh, you know the cost of labor in china has been rising to the point where mexico might have uh, might have a better decade and all that you put that together the fact that long-term money is affordable when you put all that together it says to cn yeah, it's time for you to, to make a good offer to the KCS uh, board and for them to consider very seriously.
1: Well, that, that, that's very clear. Maybe if I can just kind of squeeze one little follow-up in here. As you think about the unique drivers of value, is it more about getting CN's rail connections further west or further south?
2: So the driver of value here really definitely for us to be successful, we need to create a superior product, a product that can really compete with a long-haul truck, and on that point I could ask uh, Rob to, to comment on that, but right now the, the, the rail network in North America is not really designed to really be as successful as can be for long-haul distance from, say, Mexico City all the way to Detroit and Toronto on the east, or Mexico City to Wisconsin and Calgary on the west. And in order to do that, you, you know, putting two railroads together really makes it appealing. You want to make some comment, Rob, about the product that we have in mind? Yeah, sure, J.J.
3: You know, David, when you look at it, and as, as uh, J.J. just talked about with the UMCA contract uh, just finalized here last year, you know, it really needs a strong transportation option. We don't get to Mexico, and certainly the KCS does, and it allows us to really become the true North American um, railroad, really connecting the continent. But we bring a lot of things to the table when we look at it. You know, when we look at the different uh, industries, you know, the auto industry would get a second line of service between Detroit and Kansas City that would help increase and enhance options. You know, intermodal service from Mexico to the upper Midwest and Southern Ontario that's actually being trucked today, it's on I-35. It's really about taking it off off the highway, saving the fuel and emissions, really increasing choices for, for shippers. You know, for farmers in the Midwest, Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana, and others see opportunities to, to better access the Mexican market. You know, our reach and port access would, would open uh, the Midwest and KCS shippers to the world, quite frankly, uh, from the Atlantic to the Pacific and the Gulf. Uh, for Canadian aluminum producers, the ability to directly reach markets in southern U.S. and Mexico. For lumber and panel buyers in Texas, CN's force products franchise gets fully unlocked and allows for further optimization and utilization of our fleet of over 10,000 center beams and boxcars. I could keep going on, but there's a lot of things this, this combination would bring, uh, enhancing choices for shippers and customers, and really being the backbone of
2: USMCA. Yeah, pro-choice, pro-competition, and very much focus on growth. Thank you, David.
0: And as a reminder, please limit yourself to one question. And your next question comes from the line of Scott Group with Wolf Research.
2: Good afternoon, Scott. Hey,
6: thanks uh, afternoon, guys. So um, I'm gonna I want to ask about the operating ratio just because it does look like this it'll be worst among the rails this quarter. And I know you talked about maybe a sub sixty OR um, earlier in the quarter. Is, is that now, in in this higher guidance. And then longer term, uh, CP talked about, you know, maybe a low 50s OR pro forma with with KCS. How do you think about your OR longer term on a a pro forma basis? And and maybe do you see opportunities to leverage some of the success that KCS has had with PSR to get your margins back on track?
2: So maybe I can start and then there's just link and add. But when we look long term, we looked at a you know, North American network focusing on the economic triad I was talking about earlier and significant growth coming from, uh, you know, entomodal. So, in, you know, in, in a world of growth, growth from antomodal, the focus at CN will be very much more EPS than to try to get the lowest OR that uh, one could get, for example, if you move a lot of crude or a lot of coal. Ghislaine?
4: Yeah, and on that front, JJ, thanks, on EPS, I mean, we're quite proud of our results for this quarter. I mean, when you look, our uh, earnings uh, are up 1%. All the other rails are down, including our Canadian competitor. They stated that their earnings was up, but if you take out the fifty million one one-time land sales, they're actually down 5%. So we're up 1%, and when you look at the underlying fundamentals of the business, as we mentioned, we would be up 11% uh, when we consider the fuel lag and we consider FX. So quite proud of EPS, and this is what we're focused on.
2: Can you, yeah, can you just... It.
6: Go ahead. Go... No, no, I... sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, JJ.
2: As I said, we, we're focused on EPS. Uh, the focus on is on EPS. That's what we uh, we want to optimize.
6: Okay, and you, do you, I mean, can you clarify if the, where the guidance is on, on OR, though? Um...
4: No, I mean our guidance as, as we uh, and we're quite proud. I mean we we upped our guidance. I think that we're quite bullish on uh, on the economy coming forward, uh, on the markets, and uh, we upped our guidance. Uh, you know, as you know, to uh, um, targeting double-digit EPS growth, um, and that's what our that's what our guidance is, with uh, backed up by a mid a sing, a high a high single-digit R T M growth. That's that's our guidance. Okay. Thanks, thank Scott. You, Thanks for the question. Thank you. Thank
0: your next question comes from line of Sherilyn Radborn with TD Securities.
2: Good afternoon, Thanks, Sherilyn.
0: Thanks very much. Good afternoon. I um, wanted to ask in relation to the increase in guidance for the year and particularly the increase in your volume outlook, obviously intermodal has been very strong, so maybe that's the upside. But um, we'd love to know if you're starting to see some signs of life on the carload side of the business, which I think would be you know, helpful from a mixed standpoint. Thanks.
2: So, Rob, you want to talk about uh, what you expect to move between now and the end of the year?
3: Yeah, so, Sherilyn, we we actually see some positive uh, um, movement here, particularly in the second half of the year is, is really where we see the upside as the economy really starts to kick in. You know, we, we are moving uh, quite a bit of gas, uh, moving out to export uh, through the port of Prince Rupert. Actually, the second gas terminal just opened up. You know, the forest uh, products group has continued to stay strong here. We talked about grain. I think the single the carload franchise really starts to move in the second half of the year. Quite frankly, is what we see uh, the big side uh, in terms of the upside, Carolyn.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty broad base. Pretty broad base. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Your next question comes to the line of Ton Wadewitz with UBS.
7: Good afternoon, Tom. Uh Yeah, JJ. Uh, thank you for the uh, uh, the question here. Um, I wanted to try to get your sense of the kind of negotiation with KSU and how you address uh, maybe some of the concerns that they potentially would have regarding the regulatory process. So I guess in particular, uh, CP now has visibility with the waiver uh, that they would be able to go to a voting trust. Uh, You you know, you don't yet have that visibility. And so uh, is that a significant Barrier to an agreement with KSU? Are there things that you can do uh, in terms of the negotiation that that would address concern uh, that they might have that they reached an agreement with you, but then STB comes back and says no, we're you know we're not going to allow you to do a voting trust.
2: Thank you for the question, Tom. So we, we've only put our offer to KCS uh, Tuesday of last week, and this only this morning did we file for the voting trust so uh, and we fully intend to address every uh, regulatory issue concern that KCS has so maybe Sean maybe you could uh, give a brief brief and an update kind of where we're at in the process of doing these different things
6: sure thanks JJ sure Tom happy to do so so obviously now a non-disclosure agreement with uh, KCS and we have access to the data room but uh, we're going to start a dialogue in the coming days with them Um, I think you saw today we filed at the STB uh, a letter setting out uh, our views on the process by which the STB will rule on the Voting Trust. First of all, secondly, we also filed a petition uh, with our Voting Trust, which is identical to the other Voting Trust before the STB that was put forward by CP. And our application is very simple. We're just asking the STB uh, as they uh, enunciate their process to approve the Voting Trust that they do both at the same time. So the same track, uh, the same standards, uh, ultimately come to decision at the same time with respect to both uh, cp's voting trust and our voting trust and we're very confident even working with the with kcs uh uh, you know who obviously be uh, uh, interested in both parties seeing their voting trust getting approved that uh, you know be adopted a process that is fair uh, transparent and even-handed and we're confident that uh, you know the stb will will do that we've asked them to rule by may 31st which puts us in line to be in a position where both voting trusts have been approved by the STB prior to uh, the uh, the vote by the KCS holders sometime in June. So obviously that dialogue is ongoing. We will be able to show, uh, no doubt, with the KCS, that uh, when it comes to the voting trusts, uh, our position is uh, identical to CP's, and hopefully we're very confident that the, the STB will rule on both at the same time. We think that's the best approach uh, to have an even uh, an even level of playing field for everybody. And ultimately, at this stage, as you know, the standards for the voting trust is public interest. It does not go to the competitive issues. But again, our transaction is pro-competitive. We have new choices, additional choices for customers uh, in the U.S. and across the network. And we're very confident that uh, we'll get to a voting trust to be approved at STB uh, in early, uh, early June, late May.
7: Do you, do you need an agreement first for them to review it, or or not an agreement with KSU, or not necessarily?
6: No, not we filed uh, we, we opened uh, our proceeding last week and we filed the voting trust and it's not required that you have a final agreement signed before they approve the voting trust.
0: Great, thank you, thank, thank you, you, Tom. Your next question comes to the line of Allison Laundry with Credit Suisse.
2: Good afternoon, Allison. Oh, thank-
0: Good afternoon. Um, maybe just following up on, on Tom's question, um, I mean, there, there seems to be some um, disparity between CN's view about what the public interest standard actually means, um, specifically for the voting trust, um, compared with, with how CN, uh, excuse me, CP is, is outlining um, their view of, of the public interest standard. So maybe if you could just sort of walk us through um, you know, how you understand the, the SCB language, uh, what, what you think it means, um, you know I mean basically CP is trying to or is arguing that you know competition is um, something that that will be considered. I think what CN is saying it's more about um, you know financial fitness and the, and the divestiture of the asset. so um, hoping that you could provide some some clarity on, on your, your view on what the public interest standard means uh, specifically for the voting trust. Thank you.
2: Sean, you want to talk to these technical
6: points? Sure, Alison. I'm very happy to. Well, first of all, again, Alison, our our position is that our, our bid is pro-competitive, will create choices for uh, customers, and therefore it does enhance competition. Uh, I also want to make a comment uh, our view is there are no insoluble regulatory problems. I mean, uh, there's a history of uh, uh, these um, uh, uh, issues that are raised in the context of an STB application is being mitigated and worked out with, uh, obviously, the customers uh, through the STB process. The standard with respect to the voting trust is uh, is very clear uh, and our trust is exactly the same as CP's uh, and it's a public interest standard but it focuses on the risk of financial harm of the applicant carriers and that goes to if the, for some reason a transaction were not to be approved that both carriers in our case KCS and CN will remain financially viable uh, at the uh, post of uh, the transaction if you had to unwind the voting trust and we're very confident both companies are extremely viable, would not have an issue post the voting trust if it were not to be approved. Ensuring that there's no improper control of KCS and it is clear both in our, uh, in our uh, uh, voting trust that there is no control by CN, uh, the trustee being Dave Starling is an independent trustee uh, with a great experience when it comes to both the railway industry but also KCS specifically and we have to welcome his independence as trustee. Uh, and therefore, you know, we, we are very confident that uh, the public standard test that must be met at this stage uh, will, be de- will be analyzed by the uh, STB. And again, the, the, the issue will be, and what we're asking the STB to do, is apply the same standards uh, and the same criteria in the same time frame to both voting trusts. So we're confident that uh, when the STB receives both applicants' detailed uh, submission on the public interest, that they will come to the view that uh, uh, in our case, uh, we meet the public interest trust, and our, and our uh, voting trust will be approved by the STB. Thank you, Alison. Just,
0: just if I can oh. – okay, thank you. Your next question comes the line of Ken Hoxer with Bank of America.
7: Hey, Greg. Uh, good afternoon. JJ, Rob, and just Lane,
1: Um and team. Um, looking at the, the cost side of the, the 66OR again, thoughts on near-term on, on employees relatively to, to your um, – the flat performance in the quarter. How do you think you, you ramp as, as volumes ramp through the year and, and your thoughts on, on costs? And, and I guess, you know, maybe long-term, your thoughts on synergies. You mentioned kind of top line versus the cost side as well.
2: Thanks. Thank you, Ken. So maybe I can start and then Rob can add in. So the month of February was a bit of an expensive month for all the railroads of the fuller vortex. Uh, we talked about yield, same store price at 4.2%. So that's a good trend. We like that numbers. And the volume ahead of us is uh, obviously positive and constructive, just like the economy. And when you look at all the series of uh, KPI that Rob was going through during the presentation on the operation side, we've made progress just about on all fronts, if not all fronts. So, I mean, we we are, with that in light, you know, things looks, uh, it looks positive for the rest of the year. Rob, you you know, if you want to add? Yeah, uh... yeah,
3: Ken, um, if you just look at our operations team, so what it takes to move the freight out there, in the first quarter, our, our operations headcount, even though I said volume was up 6%, our headcount was down 6% in operations, roughly about 800 people less to move that freight. As I mentioned, our labor productivity was up 9%. And you know, when we look at it, as we came out of the uh, the COVID uh, depth of second quarter last year into the third quarter, we didn't bring all of our resources uh, back on a one-to-one basis. And we've been able to, to maintain that here through the second half of last year and then then certainly in the first quarter this year. You know, as you look at the second quarter um, this year versus last year, of course, you know, we're going in a different direction. We're seeing growth versus the big downturn we saw really at the end of April and May is where it started to trough on us. So we weren't doing any hiring last year in the second quarter at all. That all stopped as soon as COVID set in. And we made, uh, you know, as as you'll recall, we had a lot of people furloughed. To the contrary, we're actually hiring. We're actually hiring conductors right now, getting ready for the second half of this year. So we're preparing. We're optimistic about the second half of this year in terms of the volume. And and that's really where our focus is, is preparing to move that. And maybe, JJ, I can add, if you're looking, Ken,
4: at the labor costs of Q1 being higher, um, that's that's all uh, major variance is incentive compensation. Because to Rob's point, our average number of employees in the quarter, were down 3%. Great. Thanks,
2: yes. Thank you. Thank you, Ken.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Brian Ossenbeck with J.P. Morgan.
7: Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, just a quick one on the end markets. Uh, can you just remind us what impact you think you'll see from the EOD mandate when it becomes effective in in canada uh mid this year we've heard some concerns about availability of uh devices being certified um is that really something that you're focused on having an impact on some of your end markets that overlap with trucking
2: so maybe i can pick this one up uh, most most uh, trucking firm in canada who do cross borders have to have the equipment already because that's what is a legal requirement in the united states So then you're left with only the the fleet that's only running in Canada that has to meet that mandate by mid-year. So the impact is, I would say, I would qualify as a slightly positive uh, because already a good portion of the fleet had to be converted because, uh, you know, a number of equipment uh, moved across borders. So the impact is a slight positive, but I think it's coming up at a time when the economy is going to be strong. So really the economy is going to be a bigger factor than the, the ELD implementation. Thank you. All
7: right. Got it. Thanks, JJ.
0: And your next question comes from the line of Jason Seidel with Cowen.
7: Thank Hi, you very Jason. much, Trevor. Hey, JJ and team, uh, thanks for taking my question. Want to want to talk on uh, any of the customer overlap that may exist, and maybe you could walk us through some of your options on how to sort of, you know, placate the STB and the customers
2: going forward in the deal. So the overlap that uh, is well-known is uh, between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, where both CN and KCS have a parallel line. And, uh, you know, we, we know the detail of that, and we think we can uh, definitely solve that. As as Sean said earlier, uh, you know, two-to-one problem, you know, none of them are unsolvable, and we'll resolve them. I don't know if, Rob, you want to add to yeah, I, I think other you, so-called overlap?
3: Yeah, I think you hit it. Uh, you know, the overlap, just like we said on Tuesday, is really between Baton Rouge and New Orleans where we do have a few customers that uh, their options will go from two to one. We knew that going in and, and we said that. And again, that represents less than 1% of the combined railroads network. So we will remedy it. There's a number of things you can do with that, including divestiture of the line, but we'll cross that bridge when the time comes, but we will handle it. You know, other places that are out there that have been mentioned, you know, I'll just go through them real quick. Jackson, Mississippi, there's no two to one. East St. Louis, no two to one. Springfield, Illinois, No two-to-one. Council Bluffs, no two-to-one. Mobile, Alabama, no two-to-one. In fact, the Port of Mobile, Alabama has sent in their uh, support for our proposed uh, merger, so they get it. You know, if for some reason there is another issue out there, we'll work with our customers to remedy that, as, uh, as we always have. And, you know, as J.J. said, it's important to note that in a little over three business days, over 500 letters of support that's significant in terms of uh, what we're seeing out there. Thanks yeah. for the question. Appreciate so the clarification.
2: Hope, hopefully this helped clarify everything that's been said on this in the last week, so thank you for the question, Jason. Next question.
0: Your, your next question comes to the line of Justin Long with Stevens.
7: Thanks and good afternoon. I wanted to ask about the 75 locomotive uh, orders that that you mentioned. I think you got approval for that from the board. Any color you can give on the expected timing of those units and, and when they should be delivered? And is this an order that's contingent on the merger being approved, or is this predicated on just the standalone business and the growth you're expecting?
2: So maybe I'll pass it on to Rob, but just to clarify, the approval of the board for the grain fleet expansion and the locomotive fleet expansion took place before we made the offer to KCS. Rob?
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. It had nothing to do with the merger and does not have anything to do with the merger. It's really based on growth and growth prospects we see over the next uh, 12 to 24 months. In in terms of timing, uh, we expect to get, you know, roughly 25 of those here in the second half of this year. The other 50 uh, first half of next year, there could be some variability if volumes bigger than that. We could pull some of those forward, but uh, um, that's about what we look like in terms of the timing.
2: Yeah. So we're not losing our focus at all on Canadian grain and Canadian farmers. Uh, you know, we're making a major capital investment over three years, adding, uh, renewing 3,500 3, new uh, low-cube, uh, high-capacity hopper cars. And the 75 locomotive, you know, we got some flexibility about when we take them, and it's basically uh, our commitment that uh, as we see growth coming, we want to be prepared for it. We want to be able to move the economy and do our part for uh, to enable uh, the recovery post-COVID. Thank you, Justin. Great. Thank you.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Chris Weatherby with City.
7: Hi, Chris. Yeah, hey guys. Thanks for taking the uh, the question. Um, I, I guess maybe a, a couple of things here. First, just on the the um, on the voting trust, when you think about sort of the the similar approaches that you'd like the SDB to take to review both of them, I guess I'm trying to make sure I understand that relative to. The desire to have your deal uh, reviewed by uh, the new merger rules, as opposed to sort of seeking the waiver, is there a is there a reason why maybe the same rules make sense for the trust as opposed to potentially the deal? And then you know, in in terms of what ultimately kind of becomes how the industry ultimately shapes up, how how would you expect something to you know the downstream effects to look? if you were to be able to acquire
2: in case you do you think this
7: triggers something else in the future or Do you think this is sort of one and done and then this
2: is it so thank you chris it's a question often asked so we'll, we'll revert to our expert here sean to uh, cover that
6: thanks chris on the
2: question of um, of uh,
6: the waiver maybe what you're asking about but to, to be specific uh, you know we believe we can close the transaction on new rules or old rules Uh, So for some reason, the STB were to to rule, but we've taken the position from the outset that, you know, we we think that this transaction should be reviewed under the new rules, first of all. Secondly, it does provide, uh, and obviously our 500 or more support letters are are recognized the fact that CN has taken the position that uh, we are confident that under the new rules, we can get this transaction approved and closed. And when it comes to uh, evaluating the voting trust, again, we're of the view that uh, Clearly, in our submission, what we said is that uh, we want the same standards applied and the same timeline and the public interest test uh, for the approval of the voting trust. Uh, Our uh, submission is that it is the same for both voting trusts, uh, leading that to ask the STB to rule uh, both at the same time uh, and hopefully adopting a process which will allow us to even even a level level playing field. Excuse me, which is fair, transparent, and even-handed. So obviously. You know, our position is that when it comes to the Voting Trust, uh, our regulatory assessment is identical to CP's when it comes to getting it approved as a vehicle to use to move on to the next level of this transaction.
2: So I hope this helps. Um, yeah.
6: Go ahead. Is that downstream effects,
7: what do you think about that?
6: Well, I think that, that's something that will be obviously assessed by the Board uh, based on the new rules on the overall transaction, and we'll address those as they as they come through., uh, but again, our 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 um, capability of demonstrating it is is pro-competitive. that uh, has Rob clearly explained that there's no there's has competition and there's not uh, there are areas where we'll have to address with mitigation, but we remain confident that on the new rules we can get this transaction approved and closed.
2: Okay, thank you. Thank you. next question operator
0: and your next question comes from the line of John Chappelle with Evercore ISI hi Thank
7: John you. good afternoon hi JJ um, I want to ask about the impact uh, of what's going on in the Port of Montreal right now uh, obviously this one was a little bit more um, Uh, expected and it sounded like there was business already shifting to Halifax. How was your uh, network positioned for the proactive shift in freight and if you can just remind us what was the impact both from a a volume and a cost perspective on the prior strike and and how do you expect it to be similar or different uh, this time around?
2: So this is the uh, second time in uh, about six months that they have a a labor disruption. Uh, and uh, the last time it was maybe you caught uh, shippers or importers by surprise. This time, because seven, it was a second time, and this was also they had a specific deadline, so peop- customers saw it coming. Diversion uh, of freight started to take place many weeks ago. Uh, that's you know, that's that's another important aspect. When the disruption took place last year, it, it was disruptive to our own operations. So I would say. We, we, there was some new business, but it was also unplanned costs as a result of. So this time, uh, you know, we were organized differently. I'm sure the importer is also organized differently. There's been diversion of freight already to St. John and Halifax both. And uh, currently, the federal government is actually looking at the potentially having some, uh, some regulation that may uh, bring either the work stoppage to a close or maybe bring the two parties closer together. So but all in, it's not a big to-do in terms of our second quarter result. Great. Thank you, J.J. Thank you.
0: Your next question comes lined to line Brandon Oglinski with Barclays.
2: Hello, Brandon. Hey, uh,
7: yeah, good afternoon, and thanks for taking my questions. Uh, I guess, uh, J.J. or Rob, you know, look, I, there was a lot of public discussion last week about how your potential combination would be, you know, somewhat anti-competitive from a rail perspective. And I think it went beyond, you know, just the shared line in Louisiana. So can you give us maybe some more extensive response to those comments especially uh, in relation to interline agreements, which supposedly could be more challenged going forward?
2: Well, maybe I'll start. I mean, frankly, our focus, you know, from the beginning has been on KCS and creating value for their shareholders and their customers, as well as the CN shareholders. We, the, 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 the combination that we're proposing is really, really pro-competitive. It's really about creating new products New services to compete harder. There's nothing wrong with competition. Competition is good. It brings innovation. And it brings new services. It helps connect uh, more buyers with more sellers. CN has a bigger network. We can actually connect more destination All these gateways will remain open. You know, CN is, is uh, this, you know, railroad, including CN, we make good money after changing traffic with other railroads. So there's definitely no incentive financially otherwise. Uh, not, not, to, not to continue to grow the interchange business with all the railroads, including the CP at Kansas City. So a merger that's based on growth is a merger that's really is, uh, you know, looking for a bigger pie of the overall freight in North America. Not to, we're not looking for a bigger pie, for a big, bigger side of a small pie. We're looking for a bigger pie, and therefore you know, interchanging with other railroads as well as a competing much harder with truck with obviously what we created now as a premier railroad uh, for the 21st century focus on the, the, the economy ahead the economy ahead of us is going to be much more related to consumers and to automotive a a lot less reliant on thermal coal and crude has been you know good and you know good and bad at the time a crude crude is too volatile to actually do uh, a merger of this size and uh, so i mean there's this Uh, Our view is always from the beginning, this is pro-competition, it's to create new product, it's about growth, and it's about creating reason for freight shipper to use a rail network. I know, Rob, you want to add? Yeah,
3: you you nailed it. I think you hit on all the key points. I just reemphasize, you know, as JJ said, you know, we plan on keeping the gateways open. There's no plans to shut those. So, you know, as far as your question on the interline, that's our plan.
2: Uh, Yeah. And just to add, when you look at the ports, you know, Mobile, New Orleans, Montreal, Quebec City, Halifax, uh, Vancouver, Rupert, uh, you know, uh, Lazeros, Cadenas, Veracruz, all these ports uh, with this combination can really connect to even more interland market. You could could connect St. Louis, Memphis, uh, Kansas City to all three coasts, you know, uh, know, transatlantic trade to, to Kansas City, Gulf, you know, South American troll to Kansas City coming from the west as well. You you could potentially give an opportunity again for Lazaro Cardenas to potentially be uh, an an option for those to import product in Houston and or export product from Houston back to Asia. When you look at the map, you got to look at what it could do to actually enhance the economy and enable something that uh, was put together with a lot of effort, USMCA and enable the continent also to do more trade within itself. You have now the content of a, of a finished vehicle, North America, requires a higher content made from North America. So that means more product, more parts moving within the continent. Very long haul, and uh, that's what this combination is all about, is to support and enable, uh, and, you know, the economy ahead, not, you know, with no intention of reducing competition or closing gateway. Thank you. Thank Gisella. you.
0: And your next question comes the line of Amit Rotorotra with the Deutsche Bank.
1: for letting me ask a question. Um, uh, JJ, you know, I want to ask a previous question slightly a different way if I could, so uh, bear with me for a second. I mean, you and the team have, you know, obviously done a lot of work, offered a compelling proposal. I think that's undeniable. Um, but at the end of the day, the outcome is quite binary, um, and, and what I was hoping, you could help us with is, you know, how CNI is impacted by a potential cp KTS merger, uh, both, you know, I guess with respect to the competitive implications for CNI, and then also does an outcome like that um, necessitate the need for your company and the, and the CNI board to pursue other acquisition opportunities to counterbalance that competitive implication.
2: So thank you for the question, Amy. So that that's really a question for later. Uh, it's something we've been talking about, obviously, for the last uh, many, many years as to, you know, the, the so-called end game. Uh, our focus really is uh, the opportunity at hand. The board KCS, I decided that uh, they're willing to partner with another railroad, a strategic partner. And you know, from the very beginning of when we, when we got privatized, uh, you know, the first thing that we did was made an acquisition early on of the Illinois Central. We had a marketing alliance with KCS. Uh, you know, and, and then early days, we've been focused on what was, at the time, known as NAFTA. Uh, NAFTA has now been renewed uh, with somewhat differently, but a lot of the, what the NAFTA attraction was is still there today. So that's really the focus that we have. Uh, if, things, if this doesn't happen, then uh, you know, we'll, we'll see at that, uh, that time. But uh, the, there's a lot of value, and we believe, as uh, Sean was saying earlier, that we can resolve these different issues uh, as they come, and uh, that's what we're focused on right now. But just look at the CN network the way it is today, with Tree Coast, huge amount of potential just stand alone. Just remember when we started 25 years ago, the company was nowhere what it was today. We built it up over 17, 18 different acquisitions, big and small. We built it up with organic growth, and that has always been the case. We, we are very innovative, very nimble, and we're going to keep doing that. Right now we're focusing on one specific the KCS and uh, being the NAFTA Railroad, the USCMC Railroad, it doesn't mean that uh, our future is is, is any different long-term. We have a bright future no matter what, but we think Mm -hmm. that this is is the time to do this one transaction. Uh, First time since I joined CN that actually uh, KCS is actually willing to merge with another railroad, so we'll, we'll jump on that.
1: Okay, very good. Thank you
6: best of
2: luck. Thank you. JJ, if I may,
6: just I want to be clear that um, I talked about the voting trust before. Uh, clearly, um, our application, uh, there's no date yet for the KCS shareholder vote, but our application today, uh, we're looking to have the uh, our voting trust approved on the same timeline as CP's voting trust, the same standards and the same uh, criteria and that be done prior to the voting trust of KCS. When I said a voting trust by the end of May or June, I know I'm presumptuous, I'm assuming that's what it could take taste, but clearly I want to be clear that uh, we want to ensure that uh, the STB rules on both voting trusts prior to the KCS shoulder vote uh, later this year. Very important point.
2: Thank you, Sean.
0: Your next question comes line of Benoit Poyer with Desjardins Capital Markets.
2: Yeah, good, good afternoon. Uh,
4: Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, obviously, very good color about the, the voting trust. But now, when we look at the, uh, the data room, could, could you provide maybe more color about the timing to perform data room analysis? I know it's not your first time, and I would assume it's more virtual these days. Uh, and if you could also provide some color about the, the timing to my, make a binding proposal and finalize a definitive merger agreement. Thank you.
2: Ron, you want to cover that? Yeah, merci beaucoup Benoit, thank
6: you. Yes, uh, as I said, we've started. Uh, we'll be starting uh, uh, tomorrow, hopefully, uh, getting access to, to the data room, uh, looking at uh, uh, the material that's in there. It is a virtual data room. To your question, Benoit, uh, that could take us, you know, two weeks, uh, two and a half weeks, to get uh, uh, get our uh, confirmatory due diligence completed, uh, and therefore allow us to then move to uh, finalizing. We've already. Uh, tabled a draft merger agreement, um, uh, we have one ready to go, so uh, we'll just update it in line with the due diligence and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be engaging uh, very proactively and very respectfully in the days that come with the KCS uh, team and uh, we're looking forward to being in a position to have hopefully uh, a merger agreement, uh, you know, in the next uh, 30 to 40 days. Perfect. That was great caller. Best of luck. Okay.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I would like to turn the meeting back over to Mr. J.J. Rouet. Well,
2: thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Obviously, it's an important time in, uh, in the CN history. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, you know, we're proud of our first quarter result. The economy ahead of us looks good. Uh, the operating matrix is solid. Fuel efficiency is good. Uh, very important to us also is our safety performance, much improved on the personal injuries and train accidents. So. A lot of good things uh, that uh, look look good for the quarters to come. On the long-term view, obviously the desire of CN to, uh, you know, give reason to the Board of KCS to consider a combination with us is very much uh, top of mind. And, uh, you know, we're going to be putting a lot of focus and effort onto that uh, in the the coming weeks. So thank you for joining us today and uh, more to come in the weeks and months to come. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time and thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.